0: Live from the 6th and Peabody Studio and across the OutKick Network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
1: Glad you're with us for OutKick 360 in Nashville alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Sixth and Peabody, our broadcast location, our studio location for OutKick is right here with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smokey Moonshine. Coming up in 20 minutes, Armando Salguero of OutKick.com will hit the NFL headlines and a bit later we will discuss the Sweet 16 matchups in depth. We'll give you our picks and why and briefly look ahead to some of tomorrow's matchups as well. But uh, tonight... Gonzaga and Arkansas tipped things off a little bit after 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern, followed by Villanova and Michigan. And then the second half of tonight's matchups, Duke and Texas Tech, Arizona and Houston. Are we all agreeing here that we think either Gonzaga, Arkansas or Houston and Arizona ends up actually being the best matchup of the four games?
2: I think the most compelling, because the Coach K factor is the one that's right in the middle of primetime on CBS for a reason, is Texas Tech and Duke. I like the potential might, of the early game and the late game the most. Yeah. I
3: think Gonzaga's going to be just fine.
1: There is There is something about Arkansas that is intriguing because we have not seen them turn it on to a level that we saw – towards the end of February, early March.
2: Now, I'll I'll also say post-play for Gonzaga should be dominant with Uh, Timmy. Timmy's the best player in the game. Yeah, you got Jalen Williams for Arkansas, that's it. You know, he's 6'10". He's a great player and does a lot of different things. They've got some other guys with size, but in terms of post-presence, and he's still more of a perimeter guy who likes to start, you know, 17 feet out when he does something or even shoot threes. Um, and not that Holmgren has some intimidating presence down low with his size, but at seven it foot one, problems. he's active and he can get open around the basket. Um, so that, that's going to be where Gonzaga could flex a big advantage. But the, you have Paul, you have Gonzaga,
1: who I mean at one point trailed Memphis by 10. Now they came back in one, but they have that advantage. They've got,, you know, going back to our, our previous conversation this week about Michigan and Tennessee in that matchup in the second round. Michigan had some guys step up, and Gonzaga's got those dudes. Yeah, You know, they, they have the best player in the game.
3: I just kind of feel like – and, I mean, I know the roster's going to turn and turn. I feel like they're kind of going to be a Final Four fixture almost until they break through. Um, the thing about Arkansas, Chad – I have trouble betting
2: against them.
1: They are 10 for 37 from three in this tournament.
2: That's got to change. And they are a team that can get hot. That, that's why – it's tough to play the law of averages, but it feels like Arkansas is going to start hitting again at some point. That's why I think tonight could be a really good game.
1: Marquez Valdez-Scantling signing a three-year contract with the Kansas City Chiefs, who yesterday traded Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, we'll go into detail with Armando Salguero about Tyreek Hill and Miami's perspective
2: of being part of the haves instead of the have-nots of the AFC. But Hey, quickly about Michigan, before we slam the door on this discussion on, on NCAA Tournament. Um, star power, all right? I watch for star power in this round in the Elite Eight. You need to have two guys who can take over a game. Michigan has that right
3: yep, now. small Hunter
2: Dickinson, Eli Brooks are guys that can take it over. What Michigan doesn't have is point guard play. They've got Frankie Collins, a true freshman. Uh, Devontae Jones out with a concussion. No, he's so, back. Is he back now? He's back. Tried to play against Tennessee, went out. I wouldn't be reliant on him playing more. He, he took a slight shot to the head. Did not play again He's against got Tennessee. history, too, doesn't he? Yeah, so there's some issues surrounding that. But I look for not one guy, but two guys for these teams. Michigan does have that star power. And anyway, I think Villanova wins, but that's something to watch for Michigan now moving forward. So the remaining
1: wide receivers for the, for the Green Bay Packers, now that Valdez Scantling is in Kansas <laughs> City, because Devontae Adams traded to Vegas. Um, you had St. Brown, who's now in Chicago. Alan Lazard... Randall Cobb, Jawan Winfrey, Amari Rogers, and Malik Taylor are your remaining wideouts yeah, in Green Bay.
3: They're remaking that group, and they're going to be young, hungry, and under pressure. Uh, stepping in, you know, they're going to get drafted. They're going to talk about their enthusiasm to play for Aaron Rodgers. And for the first time in a long time, Aaron Rodgers is going to. Uh, he wanted him. I mean, we know the, the drafting of Jordan Love wasn't just about the fact that they, they drafted his successor, but that they failed to, to use a first-round pick. They drafted up in the first round and didn't draft him a weapon when they've needed weapons. But I would imagine he's getting two picks in this draft, including the, the first one, going to be a, a, a receiver in a good receiver class. Every class is good receivers now. Um, and he's going to get himself a guy that that that's going to be his feature guy, probably. And look, it takes receivers some still a long time. It's a very trying mental thing. But college receivers come into the game increasingly. We've seen plenty of guys come in and do damage right away. You have to bring them in the right way. You have to ask the right things of them. They have to be the right mental makeup guys. Uh, we saw A.J. Brown here come in and do it. Jamar Chase certainly is a different uh, species, if you if you want, who came in and did it. I don't know how many of these guys fit that. These Ohio State guys certainly are capable of coming in and doing that. Um, the USC kid is certainly capable of coming in and doing that. And, uh, you know, you got to pick the right one. But the the Green Bay Packers are going to be reliant on a rookie receiver this year. And if one doesn't make a big contribution, they're not going to be the same level of team.
1: Guys, uh, of the quarterback movement, Russell Wilson uh, traded to, to Denver and Matt Ryan now in Indianapolis. If you start to think about the rosters, of course, Denver with the new head coach and you have a, r- a roster in Indianapolis that have, what, seven pro bowlers? Yep. And now they add Matt Ryan, former league MVP. Um, Russell Wilson's five years younger than Matt Ryan here, but just for the sake of... Discussion this season, going into the off season, Which team is in the better shape right now?
3: Uh, let me go first. I think, I think virtually everybody out there probably in the chat screaming Denver. I, I think it's the Colts. And I think it's the Colts for a, a very simple reason. I know the Colts have not had recent success against the Jaguars. But the Colts, if they do what they are supposed to, should have four wins against the Jaguars and the Texans. And the Broncos cannot find four automatic wins in that division by any means. The toughest division maybe in the history of the world. Research projects will come out and tell us what that AFC West looks like, but it is absolutely stacked. If you play in the AFC South right now, it is the Titans and the Colts. The Texans are going to suck, and the Jaguars we don't know about. One other factor I'd throw in is that we don't know about Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach. And look, I, I don't love Frank Reich, but Frank Reich has had some success in the league. He has won some games, and he was part of a Super Bowl-winning staff, and now he's got a quarterback who's been MVP and gone to a Super Bowl. So
2: AFC West plays AFC South this year, right? Yep. That's two wins. Two wins, but not four. <laughs> not, not four, but that's two for the Broncos. Uh, I'm going to go Broncos because I, I'm going to make it very simple also. It's a quarterback league, and they got a better quarterback. And they've got a younger quarterback uh, than what the Colts have. So uh, give me Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Albert O and some young receiving options the Broncos have over that overall roster for the Colts. I agree with you, Paul. Much better situation for the Colts in division. But with a crossover division being AFC South, you cut that in half. But I think that's two wins for the Broncos. And I think they're going to be very competitive with the best in the AFC West now that they have quarterback solved. So I, I think it's very close, and it, it's a great question for that reason, Hutton. But I'm giving a slight edge to the Broncos over I, the Colts.
1: I think it's important to note, the, you can go 3-3 three and three in the AFC West and make the playoffs. The Raiders did it last year. The Colts went 3-3 three and three <sighs> in the AFC South and missed the playoffs. So maybe if you're just going to compare yeah. you know, the divisions, and it, the AFC West is considerably better. Uh, top to bottom. Let's also keep in mind, but, for
2: whatever reason, the Colts can't beat Jacksonville, in Jacksonville. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing, but that's yeah. not a gimme game for them. i got to put reason. Matt
3: Ryan down for changing that. I, I
1: think the I, I think the Colts have better personnel, top to bottom, and just looking at their 53. Um, the the first time head coach I does, I, I, that does matter, for sake of argument here. Man, what a, I think it's an interesting debate because a good question. you have Russell Wilson, who is light years better than Drew Locke, or or Teddy Bridgewater, but Drew Locke, who is the interception machine. You have uh, Russell Wilson, who has had one losing season in his career. And it was last year in Seattle. With the finger. Been to two Super Bowls, one one. Meanwhile, Indianapolis, they trade for a former league MVP and a guy who has been to the Super Bowl and led 28-3, and lost. But that type of caliber. Defensively, I, 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 it's crazy to think. I think it's a toss-up defensively with some of the talent that Indianapolis has up front, especially on the interior, and then Leonard at linebacker.
3: I still want to see what the Colts do in the draft. They really need to attack wide receiver and cornerback. And I, I think they've had a little bit too much faith in what they have. They need to wake up. And address obvious needs.
1: And I think there's not going to be as much on Matt Ryan as there is Russell Wilson because of Jonathan Taylor. I agree with that. That There is a huge X factor in the backfield where you can almost argue the ball, the offense goes through him before Matt Ryan. Should. So with that in mind, I lean Indy, but I think it's a neck-and-neck Situation for the additions that they've made they we're have gone see play head to head both, here, here's what they've done both organizations have immediately gone from within a span of about a month and a half and Denver was before this but Colts after they they lost to Jacksonville, you know they've been the butt of the joke they they've immediately they're right back in it as the media darling again, which they were last year and have been for quite some time with Frank Wright and Chris Ballard. And then in Denver, you have a resurgence of, oh, all of a sudden, the Broncos are a playoff team. Both of these teams, by making the moves they have, you can can legitimately say they could be in a situation where they get a five seed, or the Colts could win the division. They could be in a situation where they get a five seed or three or a four and host a playoff game.
3: Their regular season game will be at Denver. So edge to Denver on that. In the old way, we used to look at games last year. Yeah. It didn't really matter where you were playing in terms of uh, of advantage. Uh, you still got a point or two for it, but it usually didn't. It was about even.
1: Uh, and also, the culture are a more stable organization at the current yeah. status. You don't know the the new ownership that's going to come into play in Denver. This isn't a long-term question. Though. I'm just looking at it from this offseason going into September and October. Of next but Denver
3: year. has remained pretty stable no throughout doubt. this. The, the one instability has been the quarterback and, and the head coaching situation, been a little weird. Fangio was a was not a great hire. Hack Come, it maybe.
1: Coming up, Armando Salguero will join us. Um, Chad, column suggestion for you. Dan Wetzel um, has a column about how the NCAA has a referee problem. College basketball has an officiating problem. We didn't get
3: to get into this with Dockage, who's had some things to say. Well, uh, they've got
2: a length of review problem for sure and a lack of clarity, not really a lack of clarity because they could just review anything under two minutes, and they review everything, and they shouldn't review everything because a player does this. With their hand, and they go to the scores table every time. I will say, time.
3: though, I, in this tournament, and I've not watched as much of this tournament because I was on vacation, but some of the tip out-of-bound reviews, to me, have required more extensive looks. Like, there was one, I can't remember which game it was, where it really did come down to the fifth replay angle to tell that it tipped a guy's thumb and went out-of-bounds, and they did get it right. I don't like the long reviews, but I do want ultimately them to get it right. And in the instance I'm talking about, they did ultimately get it right. I feel like there's been a disproportionate amount of out-of-bounds plays that have really been in true question. Not like an obvious, how is it taking you this long to get this right where there's been a hand-in or something, uh, an odd tip, and you can't tell if it changes the rotation of the ball or whatever. And I've been more okay in bearing it than I have typically. There was, a, there was a tough
2: one in the Michigan State-Duke game to review that, that I saw. I made the mistake of tuning in to the women's tournament with Tennessee and Belmont the other night, and that was an officiating nightmare in the last two minutes that took about 45 minutes. That game started at 6. I think it was over till 8.25, and there was no, uh, there was no overtime. And they reviewed something for five to seven minutes. That was easy. You could have taken one look at it and said, you caught, you, they got it right on the court. I don't know what they were looking into, but the review took way too long late in that game.
1: My, I don't have an issue with the way that they are reviewing right now in the tournament. My issue is how game to game, it's just it's, a, it's very inconsistent. If you watch the Carolina matchup this past weekend, that was an all-out war. I mean, that was a rock fight where you felt like you're watching a hockey game. And, you know, you can flip channels and go to another game and you're getting a touch foul as a guy's trying to defend on a full court press uh, in the middle of the first half. You know, they're not, clearly not trying to foul, just giving aggressive defense and there's a quick whistle. I, I don't understand the it, – far, far different crews game to game. Uh, meanwhile, you know, again, I'm going back to the Carolina game. The, the Arizona TCU game is another the, – the finish of that, I don't know how – there's not a foul as TCU's bringing it up past half court right before overtime where barely up to just half a second on the dunk on the other end would have won the game for Arizona.
3: And how about the hanging on the rim technical? Oh, that was 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 terrible. That was was terrible.
2: Reggie Miller went nuts on that live during the game when it happened. Uh, And and rightfully so. That was awful. I think that the officiating is contagious. And what I mean by that is it's contagious amongst the crew. And I don't think they go into a game and set out to say, We're going to allow a bunch of fouls to happen in this game, or we're going to call this reach every time in this game. I think you get going and things happen, and you're watching your crewmate not call something, and then you suddenly don't start calling it too, or vice versa. You see your crewmate call something, well, I'm going to call it now also. It's fair game to call that foul. I believe a foul is a foul no matter what. You call what you see. You don't allow your your crewmates or whatever's happening in the game to affect you. And, Hutton, you brought up Baylor um, and North Carolina on Saturday. That was one where Baylor, in part, could get back in that game because they were allowed to mug North Carolina in the floor court press and take the ball from them and mm-hmm. go score. And once that was allowed, both sides were allowed to do it, but it became – there's a difference between physicality in a basketball game and mugging someone on the court, and they allowed way too much of that like in, in that Baylor-North Carolina game. Yeah, that – It wasn't good. There needs to be more consistency. This is an area where if you watch an NBA game, they get it right most of the time. Those officials are far superior uh, to what you see in the college game. There just is. There's just a big difference between the pay, I'm sure, also, but NBA official to college basketball official. And there are some really good college basketball officials, don't get me wrong, but on the whole, when everyone starts watching in tournament time in March – everything comes to light, and you see the problems with officiating in college basketball.
3: Let's hope it's not a factor in the next four days, though it's hard to anticipate it won't be.
2: Armando Salguero was
1: uh, there for the Tyreek Hill presser uh, with the Dolphins. We will get the latest from Armando at Outkick.com. That's just around the corner. First, though, FanDuel.com is where you should turn for the Sweet 16 matchups both tonight and tomorrow. If you've never signed up before, new users... If you sign up at FanDuel.com slash OK360, your first bet, $5 on any team to win their next game in the NCAA tournament. You're going to win $150 if you win, and then you will receive $150 in site credit if you lose. It's a win-win right now for new users. Bet five, get $150 in bonus site credit, guaranteed win or lose or any, on any team, Uh, On their next game in the NCAA tournament. Just go to fanduel.com slash OK360 to sign up. That's fanduel.com slash OK360.
3: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. We'll do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes.
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. It's what like the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you
2: happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
1: There are some teams going for it in the NFL this offseason. The Miami Dolphins have inserted themselves into the conversation with the moves they've made this offseason on the offensive line and now with Tyreek Hill in the big trade yesterday across the NFL between the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Armando Salguero covers the NFL for Outkick.com, and he joins us on Outkick 360. Armando was covering the Tyreek Hill press conference, live-tweeting that, at Armando Salguero on Twitter. Uh, my, Armando, you know, you know the Dolphins well. The addition of Tyreek Hill, they already have Waddle. Is this the fastest offense in the league?
0: It's the fastest offense in the league. Okay. Now, uh, if only they were running a track meet instead of playing football, (laughs) right? Because To make it effective, you've got to get the fastest offense in the league the most accurate quarterback with some time and the ability to read the defense and process it all and get the ball to the receivers. So obviously the fastest offense in the league relies a lot on a quarterback that hasn't been all that great so far in Tua Tungabailoa.
1: Give us the, the mindset, the mentality of how they're piecing things together in Miami to put things around Tua to where there's no more excuses – uh, and, and that would include bringing in Teddy Bridgewater as well, who's in a good position behind Tua right now.
0: Right, so the mentality is General Manager Chris Greer goes to team owner Stephen Ross and says, Steve, do you happen to have $267 million laying around that I could use? And Steve Ross looks in his you know right front pocket, then digs <laughs> in the back front pocket, Digs out $267 million <laughs> and they're off and running and giving 157 million of that guaranteed to their free agents this year. And what I would tell you is their philosophy is if we put enough talent on that field around Tua to Tonga by law, especially you know, on offense, they've had a couple of defensive uh, additions as well, but especially on offense. We're a team that has had winning seasons the last two years. And so we can be a team that factors now as we go for it in 2022.
3: Is South Florida a buzz about this or is there, is it tinged with some doubt based on the doubts about, uh, uh, about Tua or a third option? Is it, is it a buzz saying, Hey, if he doesn't get it done, the Dolphins have two number ones next year and can get themselves in the market for the, for the next great quarterback and be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I would go with D
0: Paul, which is all of the above because people here have won the off season championship before. I believe that this is the Dolphins third off season championship in seven years or eight. Good record. Yeah, and so they are they are awesome in April and March, but fans also recognize that that doesn't always translate in September through January. And so everyone knows that Tyreek Hill is a pro bowler. Everyone knows that Teron Armstead from the New England, uh, excuse me, the New Orleans uh, Saints, is a great offensive lineman when he's healthy. Everyone knows that Connor Williams is very good from the Dallas Cowboys. Everyone knows all this. Chase Edmonds, another addition from the Arizona Cardinals. They're all great now. They've been great in the past. The history for the Dolphins, at least the recent history, is guys who have been great come here, and they're not nearly as great. And so what fans are hoping for is a change in direction on that. And what they need to see is obviously, again, Tua stepping up because he doesn't—he hasn't been impressive his first two years. He would admit as much. And if he isn't this year, this time, they have two first-round picks in the 2022, 2023 draft.
1: Armando Salguero with us, Outkick.com, the site. Armando, what did Tyreek Hill have to say uh, about, about the move from KC to Miami?
0: Yeah, he, he. I think he caused a little bit of a stir when he was asked how close it was between the Dolphins and the Jets when it came down to his decision. It was portrayed, billed in the mass media, as very close between those two teams at the end. And Tyreek Hill basically said, who? The <laughs> Jets? I knew all the time I was coming to the Dolphins. And so Jet fans everywhere go running for, you know, a sharp razor to slit their wrists. <laughs> because They weren't in the mix at all, regardless of what they've been told. And clearly, look, Florida has advantages. It has advantages for the Jaguars, it has advantages for the Bucks, and it has advantages for the Dolphins. And one of those main advantages is it doesn't have a state income tax, unlike New York, where, you know, teams play, unlike California, uh, other places. So those teams have the advantage when they're offering you $11 million a year, yeah, Uncle Sam is going to take part of that, but Uncle, you know, DeSantis isn't going to touch the rest.
3: What uh, I'm wondering, what you think of the Kansas City side of this? They've uh, added Juju Smith-Schuster and now Marquez uh, Valdez Scantling. Uh, Scantling, pretty, pretty good duo. Plus, they're in prime draft position now. To Manipulate things and get themselves who they want. Tyreek Hill, uh, a one of a kind guy, but uh, not utterly irreplaceable. And Kansas City has a as a good drafting team. They didn't have a choice, Paul. This is what happens when you
0: have to pay your otherworldly quarterback half a billion dollars. You you have to make cut corners elsewhere, and making Tyreek Hill the most highly paid wide receiver is the corner that they decided they needed to cut. As a result, they don't have his unique skills, but they got five draft picks in exchange. And now this year in this draft coming up next month, they have two first round picks, two second round picks, two third round picks, two fourth round picks. So the Chiefs basically are betting on themselves and their personnel department, in an ability to find comparable talent at a much cheaper price. And if they can do it, great. They'll be you know, relevant again, as always, in the AFC West. And if they can't, my guess is it's still going to be very relevant in the AFC West because, did I mention, they have a half-billion-dollar quarterback playing
3: for them.
2: Armando, I enjoyed your piece up at OutKick about the 12 teams that are going for it. Uh, this offseason, that's going for the ring. Of those 12 teams, though, is there a clear and obvious pick for you that was furthest away from that ring when they decided to try to go for it this offseason? Is there one or two teams on this list that you look out look at from a roster standpoint and say, well, I admire the effort, but they weren't really that close when they started this process? Well, the
0: Dolphins being one of those, yes. no doubt about it. Um, You know, look, going for it based on your actions is one thing. Being a legitimate contender is something else, Chad. And, you know, until we see what Tua is with all this talent around him, we really don't know if they're the latter. They're definitely the former because they're spending more money than that is available in the Treasury right now. Uh, they decided not to fill up their gas, ca- gas tank. And instead they're going into free agency. And other than that, they they've got that major hole at quarterback. The other teams, they either had a quarterback, you know, Las Vegas thinks it has a quarterback. And so I get it that, you know, Devonte Adams, great, big upgrade at receiver. Chandler Jones, big upgrade on the edge. So now they're going for it. Buffalo, they were 13 seconds away, basically, at Kansas City last year. And then their defense went on the field and collapsed. And so Von Miller comes into the picture, and he's the closer. He's the guy that has to make it happen the next time they face that situation. I get that. They were there. They were basically there. Even the Cincinnati Bengals, look, they were in the Super Bowl. and They were leading in the Super Bowl, I I, I recall, with a terrible offensive line. And so what they've done is they've remade their entire offensive line. They've added three free agents, and they're they're looking pretty good to me right now. And, And I would challenge anyone to tell me that they can't do it again because they did it last year giving up nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans and seven more in the
2: Super Bowl. Armando, on the flip side of this, you have teams that have had recent playoff success that didn't make the reach for a Super Bowl move. So of those teams you listed, Patriots, Steelers, Titans, Niners, Cardinals, Seahawks, Ravens, does one stick out as a surprise that they haven't done more this offseason? It's not a
0: surprise to me. Might be a surprise to you guys, uh but the Tennessee Titans, they have a they have a Super Bowl team minus one position. and the one position is the one that is the hardest to address, and the one position is the hardest to bring to bear against the other elite quarterbacks in the AFC, and that is with Ryan Tannehill. Ryan is a is a a solid player, a good player. Uh, we talked about this last December, January, when it was four teams left in the AFC, and the four quarterbacks were Joe Burrow, elite; Josh Allen, elite; Patrick Mahomes, elite; and Ryan Tannehill, not elite. And you know, obviously. Outgo the Tennessee Titans, so it's sad that Tennessee hasn't found a way to improve on that. Even as, by the way, a division rival, I don't know. I guess you can argue that Matty Ice is is elite or not. He once was. He's very good, and I would take him over Ryan Tannehill.
3: I'm surprised there too by Baltimore. Do you think uh, they obviously draft well consistently and get guys who who fit them? You think they're counting largely on doing that and getting healthy, being a, a cure for them? And what do you anticipate in a league stacked with quarterbacks uh, in a conference stacked with quarterbacks? You think they're just envisioning Lamar Jackson getting healthy and getting right and putting them back in the mix in in what's become a tough division? Well, no, they
0: tried to sign an edge rusher. Uh Zadarius Smith,
3: yep.
0: um the Green Packers, and he agreed to a contract. And then he unagreed to a contract. And that is basically what the the you know the Ravens very much need, which is edge pressure, and they they haven't found it to this point. Uh they thought they had found it in Zadarius Smith, and obviously they also need Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback that he was last September and two years ago as well. Last year was a, I wouldn't say a setback year overall for Lamar Jackson, but it was a disappointment. I think even he would admit that.
1: Where does Baker end up Armando?
0: My guess is that Baker Mayfield ends up on someone's bench. And I think he is this year's Mitchell Trubisky. I think that is probably what might be best for him because honestly, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, I think threw eight passes last year and all of a sudden he's rehabilitated. All of a sudden the Pittsburgh Steelers think he might be good. So I wouldn't doubt that Baker Mayfield goes that route because I guarantee you if he goes to a team that is quarterback needy and by definition incomplete and struggling it's going to be a repeat of the Cleveland Browns he's not going to go to a team that has as good a roster around him as what the Browns did and yet he struggled with the Browns if he starts on some other team that is not as talented I think he's probably going to struggle so for that reason if I were him I'd be looking for a chance to back up a really great quarterback and rehabilitate myself.
1: Armando Salguero has been our guest. Final thought, we we had a conversation earlier in the show. Better situation, and keep in mind, I'll set this up by saying next season, the AFC South and the AFC West will play each other in the cross-divisional matchups of the AFC. Better situation, Denver adding Russell Wilson or the Colts adding Matt Ryan?
0: I think Denver adding Russell Wilson. Yeah, definitely, and the reason is it, first of all, Russell's younger. He does more. He can get out of the pocket a little bit. Uh, also, Denver added, you know, Randy Gregory. So they've got two edge rushers that are going to do a lot of work in the AFC West where people are going to throw the ball a lot. And I just like their defense overall.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, the Indianapolis defense, not to be sneezed at, but... You know, I'll
1: just take Russell Wilson over Matty Ice. But, see, I, I I tend to lean towards Denver except for Jonathan Taylor. And for that, I gave the vote to Indy because Matt Ryan doesn't have to do to me as much as we discussed this. Doesn't have to do as much as Russell Wilson's going to have to do. Although, he's got three legitimate receivers there in Denver.
3: Much easier division, too, for, for Ryan. That's true. Uh...
0: Javante Williams is going to be a star in the NFL, the running back endeavor. Take that to the bank.
1: Armando, you know, I know I normally know these answers before I ask them. I don't know the answer. Paul's going to be at the NFL owner meetings uh next Monday and Tuesday. Will you be there as well?
3: I will be there. Paul. Excellent. It's good for you, brother. It's coming. Looking forward to the warm weather and some good food.
1: We'll be reaching out, Armando. We need some. Uh, we need some good check ins on Monday or Tuesday if you've got them, along with PK while you're there.
0: Absolutely.
1: I appreciate you. Okay. Hey, um, uh, how's your bracket doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did not I say Gonzaga last
1: week?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's Gonzaga, right. right. They're alive. Dude. Hey, yes, are congrats! Still alive? Congrats, yes, they congrats are. on your zags. Good job. They, they good pick. They play tonight yeah. at seven o'clock. Oh, <laughs> Going with the U. All right.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Armando Salguero, one of the best right there. You can follow to him to on Miami, Twitter. right? At Armando Salguero. I, don't
3: know. I think he might have gone to Miami. In it, which case, he'd be the only guy with an alma mater anywhere close one to One thing, thing I do
1: tournament. know, he's, he's there in Miami. Yeah. But that doesn't so mean he hold, hold up to you. So it's either his uh, hometown
3: school or his alma mater or both. Well, speak for yourself. My, my alma mater was, was one close. game away from this, this round, but yes. My alma mater never has been close to the tournament in my lifetime.
1: We uh, hit some more details of the Tyreek Hill trade, uh, and now that Kansas City has landed Marquez Valdez-Scantling, it's amazing how you know we hear details of the Jets with Hill. There's another team that was going to land Scantling until the Chiefs came in at the 11th hour and guaranteed some money on year number three. Details on who that team was and how it impacts the NFC. That's next on OutKick 360. Get ready for the
0: greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix
2: live event happening May 5th
1: There's been a, a major fire that broke out at Mile High Stadium Uh-oh. today. Fire department called in, like seats and other things were on fire at the stadium. It's under control, according to the Denver Fire Department, but weird to to see. It looked like a soccer match broke out in the middle of their stadium <laughs> with no one there. Speaking, South of American which,
3: soccer match. speaking of which, massive game tonight. Three games left for the U.S. to qualify. They need five points out of three games. Chad, I'm sorry
1: I mentioned soccer. Guarantee they're in. <laughs> Marty well, you're this.
3: concerned with them getting into the World Cup. I don't care. They're at Mexico tonight. Uh, could really use a point out of it. What, know, do they, what do they have to they do? When they Paul? don't make the World Cup, you'll care. What do no, they have no, to do? Really. Just give me,
2: give me the quick summation. I just said they need three five. Three games left. To
3: guarantee it, they need five points out of three games. At Mexico tonight, home against Panama, At Costa Rica. Remind me the point system three for a win? Three for a win, one for a draw. Okay.
1: When the World Cup, if they're in the World Cup, Paul, I'll care. If they're not in, nah.
3: That's fine. I I mentioned it for 30 seconds there. You can handle it.
1: Well, we'll be watching hoops tonight, Chad.
3: Paul,
2: are you recording it or are you watching live? The soccer
3: match? I'll watch the soccer match at 9 o'clock.
1: What tips off at nine? That sounds, that sounds Duke uh, Texas Tech soccer at nine PM. That sounds like the cure for insomnia to me.
2: You are uh, you're going to miss out on uh, Zona of Houston, also the late night game. That's going to tip off right about nine o'clock.
1: Rick Barnes signs a one year contract extension. Um, what was his? That gets wh- him wh- through when? When was his contract going to expire?
2: It was going to expire in the twenty five twenty six season. So now it expires so this one goes in twenty six twenty seven. So Rick Barnes, after the game, was asked about you know what's the locker room like, and he said, look, if it didn't hurt like it does right now, then I should get out of this game. The moment it doesn't hurt and you don't care as much about the end of a season, then you should retire or not be in it. So that was a sign that Rick Barnes is into this and, and wants to coach a little while longer. Rick Barnes seems like the type that he's setting these parameters with the school because this is when right now his mind is saying, I'm retiring. Um, So he adds a year to that because he's nowhere near retiring. This would take him to 72 years old. He's 67 right now, the end of this. Um, you know, People are going to say another Rick Barnes early exit from the tournament. Now Tennessee's rewarding him for that. I mean, I I get that. Rick Barnes' tournament record's not good, and everyone knows that. But Tennessee's basketball has also had six 26-plus win seasons, and he's been a part of three of them. He's been a part of half of them. In his time there, so there's a lot of success with Tennessee basketball that they're they're okay with. If you're Danny White and the university, they just won their first SEC title since 1979. Uh, he's got an exemplary program in terms of behavior and uh, academics, also which people scoff at, but that hasn't always been the case at Tennessee or with a lot of programs around the country. So, look, I, I think it's a move where. Tennessee wants to have the stability they have in basketball that is a moneymaker and money driver, and they sold a lot of basketball tickets this year and went undefeated at home. They like to have that stability like any program would, so he adds a year to it. Something else I was talking about before the show with, with Dylan Taylor. Rick Barnes can be overpaid and also be a very good coach for Tennessee. Both could be true. I think he's the third highest paid coach in America. He doesn't get results that's third best in America. I understand that. But Tennessee also could be completely okay with paying that money to a guy to get that type of stability in return. Both can be true. I, I think both are true. He's overpaid, and he's very good for Tennessee.
3: Look, giving you an undefeated season at home is, is getting your money's worth, even if you fail in the tournament. And you know the odds are he's not going to go on a tournament run.
1: So it was the Saints who were – like apparently almost close to pen to paper for Marquez Valdez Scantling, and he ends up by a couple of uh, a couple million extra in guaranteed money, and it wasn't. It's not a huge deal. It's like three years, thirty million, something like that. Eighteen yeah. million over the first two years, but the third year of the contract gets it over the top for Kansas City. It's Funny, oftentimes now you take less Chief. to go play for a than for. Big news that will quiet down any of these uh, reports that think that the Browns have screwed themselves. Uh, No indictment from the grand jury that heard the case yesterday. The second grand jury that heard the case yesterday uh, against Deshaun Watson. They are not moving forward with criminal charges. This is the second grand jury in less than a week that has uh, decided not to move forward with criminal charges.
3: And this was just one uh, person, a tenth person?
1: I don't know. It was a tenth, but it was a. It was another. It was a grand jury in a different. It was county.
2: one. It was one plaintiff. So they had the ni- 22 accusers. They had the nine with the first grand and jury this presumably ruling. This is uh, another individual that's not new. That's part of the twenty-two that had a separate filing in a different county. Um, he's two for two. Deshaun Watson is. This is great for him. I also no, he's don't, ten for ten. I don't I don't understand the legal process, but does this mean that the other twelve can just file in different counties and we could have twelve more stories like this?
1: They haven't filed criminal charges though.
3: If they did.
2: But if, if they if decide they did, to. Yes.
3: I mean, how is that right?
2: But my, I, I don't well, I don't understand. I mean, everybody
3: that. can file a criminal anybody can file well, a criminal. But you just go I mean,
2: they just go to different counties? Well, you or go it where it be? happened
3: it's you, where it happened. It's
1: where it took place.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. Well, I
2: mean I, I say that to say this may not be over. There could be other women that just decide to now, not just with the civil case, but press criminal charges. No, I and think if you have the
3: strongest these. case, you're more likely to come forward sooner and you would probably be dissuaded by the results. Now, if you had a lesser case, which I think your attorney would think you had, if you haven't presented so far, this is no legal legal scholarship behind that. Obviously.
1: But I mean, I'm- the headlines today when we woke up were there's a second grand jury hearing this or just heard this on Wednesday, and within hours, they're saying, oh. no, we're, we're not moving forward with any criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. Um, where does it end? Who knows? But, again, case in point, and the Browns are certainly pressing forward with this. They did last week. And latest that we've heard, he's going to be introduced to the media tomorrow in Cleveland. Headlines when we return and a big Sweet 16 preview.